Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, friends. Welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm your host, John Steele, and I am really looking forward to sharing this episode with you. We're joined this week by Jason Gabry, InterVarsity's National Director of Alumni Relations and author of the fantastic book, Wait With Me, Meeting God in Loneliness. And today, Jason is going to help us better understand loneliness in our culture, give us some tips for engaging our own loneliness in healthy ways, and also share some insights on what loneliness means for our relationship with Jesus. What Jason had to say about that part in particular blew my mind, and I think it might surprise you too. So let's dive in and see what we can learn about loneliness. Here's Jason, and this one's for you, alumni. Jason, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be back. I, I just felt like we could not go one full year. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long, it seems. I know. Well, I'm glad to be back with you, John. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. As, as we've said in the past, there are a number of episodes people could go back and listen to uh, any of almost any of the why fill in the blank church calendar um, <laughs> titles uh, you could you could learn from and, and uh, get to know Jason a little bit. But for those who are just joining us right now, Jason, would you give us just a, a brief introduction? Tell us who you are. Sure. Uh, my name is Jason. I work with InterVarsity. I am the director of alumni relations for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA, and I am John's boss's boss. <laughs> yes. So, you know, behave yourself, John. Uh, <laughs> Yes, this is kind of like when the when the principal comes in and like sits in the back of your classroom. <laughs> so, Jason, you're you're joining us this week because we're talking about loneliness, uh, and you've spent mm. a significant amount of time reflecting on, studying, writing about, speaking on all of the things uh, about loneliness. And in 2020, in particular, you published a book, uh, the book "Wait with Me: Meeting God in Loneliness." So. As we get started here, would you just give us a little bit of background on your book? What prompted you to write it? What is it for? What did you learn while you're writing it? Just, just give us a little bit of a breakdown. Oh, yeah. I, I've wrestled with loneliness probably most of my life at some level. Uh, I, I can remember, um, even as a kid, very young kid, going through seasons of experiencing senses of loneliness. And when I was a parent, and when I was working with uh, college students and I had parents of young children and I was leading in my church, I was doing all the community things that you're supposed to do to feel connected. And I remember I'd have a house full of guests and everybody would go home and I'd stood at my kitchen counter and uh, at washing dishes and I would just feel these waves of loneliness. Mm. And... Um, and that was really disorienting for me. So I, I sought out some spiritual direction. I sought out people who I thought could help me 
with this. And what I discovered was so transformative that I thought, even in the moment, I thought someday I need to write about this. Someday wow. I need to share this these insights that I'm learning with other people uh, so that they can uh, meet and experience them as well. And so, yeah, I, I wrote the book for anybody who is experienced loneliness, struggles with loneliness, and who is open to a uh, engagement with God, a, a, a way of discovering God in the context of loneliness that's different than they think. Before we do that, before we look at this kind of big picture perspective, uh, you mentioned that you know loneliness has been sort of a, a companion off and on throughout life for you. And so I wonder, let's let's uh, let's deep dive here for a moment. Let's <laughs> let's let's just go in for a moment here. And Jason, would you be willing to tell us a story, a specific moment of loneliness in your life? I'll tell one if you tell one. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, sure. The trouble is there's so many that come to mind. Um, I remember as a kid uh, thinking that that uh, kickball, I don't know if kid, people still play kickball, but I remember thinking kickball was like my game. And, uh, and I remember standing in line and what they, what they used to do is they used to take the most popular kind of athletic boys. It was always boys in those days. They make them the team captains and then they'd have everybody else stand up in a line. And then I watched all the popular athletic boys get picked. Then I watched all the popular athletic girls get picked. Then I watched the unpopular, uncoordinated, unathletic kids get picked. And at the end of the, at the end of the, the, the choosing, I was just me and Bobby McFarland standing next to each other. Bobby McFarland was legally blind. And I was like, I thought kickball was my game. I was so disoriented. And, and I remember in that moment, just feeling like I, I feel so disconnected from this thing that was supposed to be fun. And so that's just one kind of funny, not funny moment from childhood. That was an, an experience of loneliness. Yes, the kickball lineup loneliness. I <laughs> I definitely remember that. Oh man. The the moment that comes to me, like that feels like a standout moment of loneliness for me was when I had moved when I moved to Mankato for grad school. And I must have been just a few months in and I moved to Mankato knowing one person. That was the woman that I was dating at the time, and she lived forty-five minutes away. So in town there was nobody. I had not connected with InterVarsity yet and I would come back to my one room apartment. You could probably just barely put two of me end to end to reach across the length of this apartment. You crawl out of bed right into the hallway, essentially, is what this was like. Wow. And um, I remember just being in this this place of like, I have nobody. I have nobody here. Mm. I would turn mm. on the TV the entire time that I was home just to hear mm. other human voices. And I remember this one night in particular where it just felt so overwhelming that I crumpled up on the floor in this extremely tiny bathroom in an already tiny one room apartment and just cried on the floor. And I literally said, as I was crying, I want my mommy. <laughs> I mean, like I, uh, maybe not mommy, but I want my mom. Like I remember having like wow. actually voicing those words as a 22 something guy out on his own for the first time saying, I'm so lonely. All I want is my mom right now. Mm. And that felt like, a a low point of loneliness in my life that I I didn't know what to do with. Um, wow. Yeah. 
So that was, that, was a t- that was a tough moment. When I think of loneliness, that's the one that comes to mind for me. Whether it's something that you experience consistently or not, it's something that we have all experienced in one way or another. So based on the study and the preparation that you've done leading up to your book and since your book, what is the reality of our culture right now around loneliness? Yeah, that's it's such a great question. And it's fascinating. I mean, a couple of years ago, when the first studies on this were coming out, what people were puzzled about is that the the trend lines around loneliness were skewing younger. Teenagers were actually the most vulnerable to loneliness wow. at a time in life where the expectation would have been that this is the place where you're going to be socially the most dense. Right. You're going to have the thickest uh, relationships. And nobody can fully agree on what all the factors are. But there's a number of factors. So some that are meaningful to me as I look at it as is I think young people in particular are vulnerable to loneliness because of a high level of transitions. Hmm. We all get more exposed to loneliness when we're in transition because of high levels of competition or competitiveness. So competitive environments can tip there's a way in which if it's a team sport, competition pulls you together. But when it's every person for themselves, competitive environments actually become isolating and more lonely. And there's a huge role that our technology, our habits around technology are, are forming in us. And so there's a picture that was used to promote my book uh, from University of California, San Diego. And it's a picture of the quad and these these concrete kind of blocks, stone blocks on the quad. And it's just this photo of one person sitting on a block looking at their phone. And then another person on the next block looking at their phone. And another person on the next block looking at their phone. Hmm. This is not me ranting about technology. Oh, kids today and their technology. It's not that. <laughs> right. It's it's technology and the way our habits around technology are actually forming us to pull out our phones, pull out our technology, forming us to to be individuals, more individuated, more buffered uh, in one, to use a more of a philosophical term, but more buffered than we used to be. And that contributes to our loneliness. And it's even more complex than that. The multiple studies done with rhesus monkeys and anxiety, really fascinating. So we live in a very highly anxious world as well. Anxiety, by the way, uh, contributes to loneliness. So the more anxious we are, the more fearful we are, the less open we are to uh, interactions and to connections with other people. There's a study with rhesus monkeys where you put a rhesus monkey in a high stress environment, you could kill them with anxiety. Wow. Literally, you can, <sighs> because their adrenaline will shoot off the root. You can totally frazzle a rhesus monkey to a point of near death. And that's crazy, right? But if you take uh, yeah. two rhesus monkeys who share a social bond, you put them in the same environment, their cortisol levels stay within normal range. Wow. And we're just like <laughs> rhesus monkeys. We actually need other people to regulate our cortisol levels. Cortisol is our huh. stress hormone. If okay. you and I are connecting across a screen like this, it's not nearly as good at regulating my cortisol as if I'm standing next to you, simply standing next to you in your presence wow. is doing things to my chemical 
physiology that is soothing me and helping me come to grips with, I'm going to be okay. John's here. I'm connected to John. <laughs> Whatever happens, yes. we're going to do this. In fact, we had this experience once we were in an airport and I ran into you. I was, I was lost. And then I saw John and we found each other. And I, I could feel the, uh, like my anxiety melting away because John uh, was yes. here. We were going to find our, uh, our ride together, right? That's right. Uh, That's right. And everything turned out okay. <laughs> everything turned out okay. Oh, wow. What are some recommendations that you have around navigating loneliness. What do you recommend that we do with it? And how does that differ maybe from the way that our culture is training us to deal with loneliness? Yeah, great question. So I think our culture says, do everything you can to avoid loneliness or to resolve Mm. the loneliness problem, right? So I'm lonely, fix it. You're lonely, fix it, you know? Uh, and, uh, I'll never forget walking into this office with this 76 year old Jesuit spiritual director. And I said, you know, father Ugo, I'm so, I'm so lonely. And I explained my experience to him and I sharing about all my things. And I, I think I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have this, you know, all this empathy coming from him, you know, or he's going to say, oh, you know, here's my three-step plan. And after a pause, he looks at me and he says, oh, Jason, this is very good. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? You clearly have not been listening. This is terrible. And what, what he said next was really, was really powerful. He said, Jason, loneliness is not an indication that there's something wrong with you. Wow. Loneliness is an indication there's something right with you. It means that you are human. It means that you are capable and desiring connection with another human. It means that you are, uh, you desire connection. This is something really deeply right about you. It's not something wrong with you. And by the way, it's normal for human beings to be lonely. And so he said to me, you can look at to me, you can look to other activities, you can look to God, you can look to your religion to take loneliness away. Or, he said, you can embrace your loneliness as the beginning of a work of transformation in you, where you can grow greater compassion for yourself you can grow greater compassion for other people and you can grow greater compassion for God. And if you are willing to take that journey of growing in compassion by embracing your loneliness, your loneliness will maybe not go away, but your increased compassion will actually give you the increased capacity to connect with other people. And, and so that was really, really profound for me. And that's kind of what got me on this journey and got me uh, excited about the book. We live in a time, Jason, where telling people to embrace their loneliness feels <laughs> like a pretty bold statement. That's fair enough. <laughs> like I can, I can just hear people saying like, but Jason, you don't understand what I'm going through. Let me just give you an example here. Sure. Interesting juxtaposition here of, of exp- recent experiences on the podcast. 
we spoke to Nolan a couple of weeks ago and Nolan moved to a new city after he graduated, but he had a bunch of his close friends that moved with him. He had already met a, a pastor and got connected to a church that was waiting to receive him when he got there. And he said that he felt like God just knew that this was what he needed and that God provided it for him. Mm. Then last week, we're talking to Corinne. Corinne moves after graduation. She already lives far away from home. She moves even further away from home when she graduates to a place where she knows nobody in her new town. And she works hard for months before she even starts to make a connection or two uh, with other people. So she's led a very lonely experience in her first almost a year post-graduation. So for, for other alumni like Corinne, who are struggling to find community after graduation, why doesn't God just know that they need it? Like he knew that Nolan needed it. It kind of almost leaves me in this place of saying like, what the heck, God? <laughs> like, What are you doing? And potentially to be like, Jason, come on, don't tell me to embrace this. This is, this has been one of the worst experiences of my life. What do we do with that? Yeah. Oh man. It's a great question, John. First of all, I want to speak to the experience of someone like Corin. I mean, if you're in this situation and you're listening, you feel like, yeah, I feel like John curled up on the floor. I feel miserable and lonely and, and isolated and alone. I want to say to you that what you're experiencing is torturous mm. and it's terrible and it's awful. And when by saying, if I'm recommending embracing loneliness, it isn't to say that it's okay. It's not minimizing the horror and the dissonance and the difficulty of it because it's horrible. Solitary confinement is a form of torture. And so when you're in the grip of, of loneliness and the waves are just crashing over you, I care about that. I'm so sorry. It's awful. You're absolutely right. And everything in you that screams this isn't okay is actually reflecting the heart of God. One of the questions I was curious about in my book is, are there resources in scripture that, that speak to loneliness? And, and the answer is yes. But here's, here's one of the things I, I discovered. We get so used to reading the story of scripture through the lens that we were taught in Sunday school. So maybe some of us learned the lens of creation, fall, redemption. And that's, those, are, those are fine for what they are. They're good shorthand. But, but we get so used to reading the scriptures through that lens that we assume that the scripture is the story of God dealing with human rebellion, sin, and evil. And yet in the story of scripture, the first problem is not the problem of evil and rebellion. It's the problem of loneliness. Genesis 2.18, every time God looks at creation, notices creation. Up until this point, up until 2.17, God says it's good, it's very good, it's good, creation is good. We get that drummed into our ears. And then, all of a sudden, God looks and he says, it is not good for the human creature to be alone. It is not good. And so I started to think about that, you know, what if the main story of Scripture isn't the story of God dealing with our sin and rebellion? That's super important. I'm not trying to minimize sin and redemption at all. But what if the bigger story that Scripture is trying to tell 
is the story of a God who recognizes it's not good for us to be alone. Hmm. And actually God's heart and God's action and God's energy moves towards creating and restoring relationships, restoring relationships to the point of taking on the greatest forms of isolation. Jesus was lonely. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the one thing Jesus wants this is where the book title comes from. But he wants his three best friends to wait with him because he knows he's about to face the most trying situation of his life. And his three best friends go to sleep. Mm. When Jesus goes to sit in the courtroom of the Sanhedrin, Jesus says this poignant phrase. He sees his two disciples in the courtyard. And they ask Jesus a question. And Jesus says, why do you ask me? Why don't you ask those who heard and let them testify? What Jesus wants more than anything else is for a witness to stand up and say, I was there. I heard what he said. Ask me. And his disciples stay silent. Yeah. In, in the cry of desolation on the cross, Jesus turns all of that experience of desolation and loneliness to God. He says, my God, my God, why have you, even you, forsaken me? And Jesus is expressing this profound sense of, of loneliness, isolation with profound theological consequences. Now, growing up in a kind of a therapeutic, moralistic kind of Christian faith, I thought that those kinds of experiences that Jesus went through meant that when I was feeling really lonely, Jesus could be my buddy and could relate to me, right? Jesus could yes. walk with me in my loneliness. He could understand. And isn't that, isn't that comforting? Here's what I learned. I learned that if I was willing to embrace, to wait with Jesus, to allow the loneliness that I experience uh, to lead me to deeper compassion for, for myself, for other people, for Jesus, all of a sudden I realized that, well, I know what it's like to be betrayed, to need a friend and have them fall asleep on me. I know what that's like, but I don't know what it's like when people are trying to kill me. Oh. I know what it's like to, to say, hey, I need somebody to testify on my behalf to stick up for me because people are saying some bad things about me. I need somebody to stand up and say, no, 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 no. I was there. I, it wasn't like that. And I know what it's like to, to have that betrayal. I know what it's like to feel abandoned by God. I, don't, I will never know what it's like to actually be abandoned in the way that Jesus was in the mystery of that. And what this means is that if I can enter into that and grow in compassion, all of a sudden, it's not about Jesus relating to me. It's about my ability to go, oh my gosh, I understand a little bit more about who Jesus is. I understand a little bit more about his life. I can have compassion for him. And if I can have compassion for Jesus when he's betrayed or when he's lonely or when he's going through something, that means I can have compassion for my neighbor who's lonely. And the next time she starts talking at me and I just want to get my groceries put away, maybe I can remember, maybe there's an opportunity, there's an access to compassion. I can be compassionate to a person who's somebody like me, who feels lonely, who needs to connect in this moment. And maybe I can, I can offer that weak as it is, you know? And so, so that's what I mean when I talk about, you know, enter into embrace your loneliness. Wow. Okay. So if, if I can, if I can like distill this maybe poorly into, into one phrase here, Jason, what you're telling me is that 
embracing my loneliness actually has the potential to open me to relationship. Yes. To relationship with Jesus, to relationship with others. And with relation into relationship with yourself, because a lot of us are so busy trying to avoid our loneliness that we, we can't even name it. That, I mean, that is, that is re- just, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's just so counterintuitive that the, the way that God has built us compared to the way that our culture functions is actually upside down. Because oftentimes it, it almost feels like loneliness or sadness or some of those things is an enticing companion in a way that I should not give into. Mm-hmm. Like you're just going to go into this downward spiral, but that there are ways to engage with this, not just getting mm-hmm. rid of it, but actually acknowledging and leaning in that that can lead to health and stronger relationships and and to see loneliness as something that can be useful Um for the sake of having compassion for Jesus, who has ever thought of that? <laughs> Certainly not me. You're like, you're blowing up my brain here, Jason, talking about some of these things. So how can we do this well? If there are resources that you have or, or things that you've kind of developed or that you've found along the way, how can we engage in a healthy way with our loneliness? Sure. For some of us, we're going to need to find a good spiritual director. We're going to need to find a good therapist. And I'm all for therapy. I'm all for getting the help we need, getting the pastoral help we need. And uh, so for some of us, that's what we're going to need. That's a healthy way to, that's a healthy way to pursue that. Uh, Other healthy ways to pursue that, you know, obviously I wrote a whole book on this. You can take this book that I've written and you can work through it. and, And I've designed it in such a way that there's a chapter and there are questions to reflect on and there's scripture to reflect on, which will help you go deeper. But the, the, it's even better if you can do it with at least one other person. In the show notes, we'll, we'll put some resources. I've got three uh, that uh, I think can help folks. One is a adapted form of UCLA loneliness indicator. And so they can tr- try that out and they can find out how lonely they are, at least according to other people who participate in the UCLA study. And then there's one that I created on the risks of loneliness. Your risk factors for loneliness go up in certain seasons. Most people who are listening to this podcast who are in a season of transition have an increased risk of loneliness. So understanding your risks are really important so that you can maybe take some proactive steps to help you think about and work through the loneliness piece. And then there's one more tool that I developed, which I want to unpack a little bit. We can get into these distorted thinking patterns where like, I'm lonely, I will be lonely forever, and there's nothing I can do. So on this assessment, there's two lines. And the first line is your social appetite. How much social engagement are you hungry for? A 10 just wants to connect. They're aerial. I want to be where the people are. That's 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 you. If you're a 10, you want to be where the people are and that's it, right? Yes. A one would be somebody who comes home from work or whatever they're doing. And you know, if somebody was to ask you, did you talk to anybody today? You'd say, no. Didn't it even occur to me to talk to people today? That's a one. So aerial okay. or I forgot. That's line number one. Line number two is. What's your social risk tolerance? 
for example, a 10 on the social risk tolerance is I will start a conversation with anybody, anywhere, at any time. You know, if you go to the dentist and you're a 10, you're constantly talking to the dentist while they're cleaning <laughs> your teeth. You're chatting up the barista at Starbucks. Yes. Anybody you're interacting with, you're willing to engage them and talk to them about anything. If you're a one on that scale, you could be in highly scripted situations. A highly scripted interaction is a highly predictable one. That's what I mean. You know all the rules. You know what you're supposed to do. You're in line at Starbucks and you're ready to order. But if you're a one speaking to the cashier and saying, I'd like an oat milk shaken iced brown sugar latte, <laughs> please. I got to psych myself up. I got to get in the zone. <laughs> yeah. So that's the one to 10. Okay. Extreme examples. Here's what I notice. People will have different numbers. They'll, they'll place themselves in different places, but you'll notice like somebody talked to you recently, did this with somebody and they like, well, where are you on the social appetite? They gave themselves a seven. They say, okay, great. Well, where are you in terms of your social risk? They gave themselves a three. Mm. So their desire for social connection is seven. Their comfort with social risk taking is a three. All of a sudden, now I was able to help this person and begin to coach them and say, okay, you do not have an unsolvable chasm of loneliness, which is going to yes. be with you for the rest of your life until you die. You have a four point gap between your comfort in taking social risks and your desire for social connections. What step can you do today or tomorrow to move a little bit towards a four? And then you can move a little bit more towards a four and a little bit more towards a four. And, and, and then you've got a three point. When you get to a four, you got a three point gap. Over time, what you find is, oh, my desire for social connection and my capacity for relational risks are the same. Now, you do that without doing any of the inner work we were talking about theologically, spiritually, uh, it's going to help you a little bit. But do it in concert with some of that spiritual mm. work. It'll transform you in more ways than one. What I really like about that is, as you're saying, it takes this fairly emotional, nebulous experience of loneliness. I'm lonely and I wish I wasn't. And it puts it into simplified terms that gives you a starting point for plotting a course forward. Uh, Jason, I, I really appreciate this conversation. I, this is one of those conversations. It's like, gosh, I wish that I could have listened to this podcast, you know, 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> when I was, when I was in a similar space. And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful because the, we have many of our alumni, as you well know, who are experiencing this exact situation. And uh, I'm grateful for your investment for your thoughtfulness, for your meaningful, right-sized challenges that you're giving to us here, and um, and for some thought-provoking concepts. Uh, I'm still hung up on compassion for Jesus, <laughs> growing in, in a good way, hung up on the idea of growing in compassion for Jesus. I love that. So thank you, Jason, for, for giving us your, your time and, and experience today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I hope that at the very least, this episode provides a little relief, some balm for the pain of loneliness that you might be feeling, a reminder that feeling lonely is human. You're not messed up because you feel this way. You're normal. Even Jesus felt lonely. But how might your loneliness give you insight and compassion for Jesus or for others around you who also feel lonely? 
I hope this episode is helpful for that, but I hope you won't let it stop there. Let this be a first step toward embracing loneliness in healthy ways. And Jason has provided a few things to help us do that really well. First, check out the show notes and follow the links there to the different tools that Jason described for better understanding your own loneliness. And second, read Jason's book, Wait With Me, Meeting God in Loneliness. We have five copies of this book that we want to give away. So here's what I want you to do. Go to Instagram, find us there at After4Pod, and send me a DM. You don't need to follow. You don't need to like any posts. You don't need to share anything or subscribe to anything. Just send us a DM and let us know that you want one of these books. It's a fantastic resource, and we want you to have it. So just let us know, and we will send it your way if you're one of the first five to get in touch with us. Jason, thanks so much for joining us this week. This has been yet another fascinating and incredibly helpful conversation with you. I love every time you're on the show. For all of you who feel the same, there are a few more moments from this conversation that didn't make it into the episode, and when I say a few, I mean like two-thirds of another full episode. You can keep your ears open for more from my conversation with Jason in a bonus episode that's going to come out in December. Even more great stuff to learn there. Uh, But for next week, we're shifting gears. Have you ever completely disagreed with someone, like at your absolute core? Would you like to know how to have a conversation with that person about the topic that you disagree on the most without it turning into a fistfight? Or better yet, how to have a conversation that's productive, meaningful, and maybe even enjoyable for both parties involved? Come back next week if that's you. I've got someone that I'd like you to meet. I'll see you in the after, alumni. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today, alumni. If there was anything that you learned, really enjoyed, or that encouraged you from today's episode, would you send us a DM or tag us in a story? We'd love to hear about it. You can find us at After4Pod on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, take just a second to unlock your phone and subscribe to the podcast. If your platform lets you, leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what we're doing here, share us with your InterVarsity or other post-graduation friends. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you in the after, alumni.